0: You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. Good morning, Grace Bible Church. Well, on behalf of my family, um, I'm Pastor Dan, by the way, and my wife, we'd love to wish you guys a very Merry Christmas. We hope you are getting ready for this great time of the year, and we hope it's a great time for you. Um, and as already advertised, we are kicking off our Christmas season today. Um, but I have to ask, how many of you are ready indeed for Christmas? A few hands of you, it's okay. Some of you still have some planning to do, I guess. And that's what this you know, series is all about. Um, but we're not going to be preaching on, you know, how to plan for Christmas Day and, and present, Chris, present Christmas Day. This Christmas season, this Christmas sermon is more about the perfect plan of God. God's perfect plan to bring Christ into the world for the very first time. And so we're going to get ready with this. We're going to get into God's word here and we're going to see the promise of Christmas portrayed and hopefully in a way that encourages you today. Because let's be real, sometimes the stress of Christmas, right, takes away of the whole point of Christmas, the season, the joy that we have in Jesus for Christmas. So let's pray before we get into God's word today. God, I just want to thank you for this time with this church family, that we get to be in your word. Lord, I pray that we would treasure it, I pray that we would look forward to these promises that you have laid before us, and also, God, that we would trust in your perfect plan, and I pray this in your Son's name, Jesus. Amen. Brian, do I need to move Mike mic down? You don't know? Let's try that. We'll see if that helps. I tried wearing a sweater today, festive, okay? We'll see how it goes already doing great for me. All right, so let's get started. Maybe if you know me, you know that I am a planner. I love a good plan. Anyone else a good planner out there? Love a good plan, a list? All right, great. Yeah, I love the check boxes. Some of you are shaking your head like, nope, you're not. Yeah, and you're looking over at your husband like, nope, he's not. Yeah, okay. I am a good planner. I love planning. My wife and I love plans. And uh, actually, we, uh, our daughter is in, like, Gotten into this too with a point where she even draws little check boxes and draws pictures of everything we're going to do that day. You want to talk about stress? You got your plan. She's got hers. All right. It's annoying sometimes, but planning is amazing. We love plans, um, you know, and making plans and, and seeing them come to fruition. And let's be honest. I mean, I, I love plans because I don't love chaos, you know. And plans seem to like pave things out and allow things to be more prepared and better off. And it's not a control freak issue. I do love control, but I'm not a control freak. I promise. Okay. But, I mean, most of us would say, like, planning helps us achieve these goals. And so I'd like to share with you and put myself out there. I'll share with you one of my most successful plans I have ever put together. Okay. Dan the man, the plan to propose to his wife plan. All right. So I'll give you this plan that I put together. Okay. Put myself out there. Well, Dana and I have been dating for almost two years at the time that I started preparing this plan. And uh, I was finishing up my senior year up at BBC Now, CSU, and she was finishing up um, as a resident dean at the World Life Bible Institute, and we were both ready to get married, as ready as any 23-year-old kids can be. I look back, it's like, so young. Anyway, amazing how things happen. Anyway, so... I started putting a plan together. I had a place in mind, I had this hike that I had gone on with a couple of my buddies with. Real short hike, really easy, beautiful waterfall at the top of this hike, you know, 100 foot waterfall. It's like this would be perfect to propose to Dana uh, at this spot. So I had this plan picked out. And then I had uh, a time picked out because in the fall, you know, I had fall break coming up and it's beautiful that time of year. You get to see, in the Adirondacks you get to see For miles and all these trees and my wife, you know, Dana, she at the time loves fall. You know, fall's like one of her favorite seasons. So I had the time picked out. And and guess what miracle? I had enough money to spring for a ring. I mean, this was like the perfect time. And uh, so, yeah, I put this plan in order, went up on fall break, and we went on this hike. I had the scavenger hunt all laid out, checklists along the way, you know, have this scavenger, that we have to do certain things along the way, it's a lot of fun, you know, and uh, got to the top, you know, and there's this waterfall and it's beautiful, it's picturesque and, you know, I do that thing where you like that moment where the scavenger hunt led to this final moment where I get down on one knee, you know, and, uh, you know, she turns around, it's this perfect picturesque moment and I carefully pull out the ring box and I subtly open it up and you know what happens? No, it doesn't fall into the river. It's all right there. Literally, I have thinking, I have one job. Don't lose the ring. That's all I'm thinking about. Well, actually, I actually have two jobs. I still have to ask her. And I ask those those special words, Dana, will you marry me? And she says yes. Because I'm a catch, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for laughing at my humor. She says, yes. And on the way down the mountain, I was like, we're all ecstatic and just excited. And on the way down the mountain, I asked her, I said, was it a surprise? And she started laughing at me. I was like, I'm not that, like, I didn't give away any hints, did I? And she's like, you were easy to read as a book. (laughs) It's like, ah, man. What was it? Well, it turns out, in a conversation I had with her over the phone, she asked, hey, what do you want to do for fall break? And usually I'm just like, hey, let's hang out. Let's just, you know, you and me and your family, let's just hang out. But I, she said, I had too many details in place. I wanted to go for a hike. And that's all I said. I said, hey, let's go for a hike. That was enough. She knew. Oh, my wife is smart, okay? That's one thing I learned very early on. Okay, this is the other thing, is the point of all this is that my plan was moderately successful. Now, granted, it was successful in all the places that matter. She said yes, okay, but part of my plan was that it was supposed to be a surprise. You know, it was supposed to be a secret that uh, I was going to be proposing. But you know what, I'm okay with that failure. I really am. Sit back, I'm okay with that. But today, as we look back at the promises and the plan of God for bringing Christ into the world, we're going to see that God never intended for this to be a secret. He never intended for this plan to be a secret. And today what we're going to see is this one thing, is the promises of God are treasures to trust in. They're treasures to trust in, just like I treasure this promise that I made to my wife, this um, plan that I put together. Even more so, we're going to see that the promises of God are something that we can indeed treasure. So today we're going to look at three of these most powerful promises Two of them in the Old Testament. So the first one is in Isaiah. So you can go ahead and turn there if you'd like in your pew Bible. It's page five seventy-two, but Isaiah chapter seven, verse fourteen. You may have heard this verse many times throughout the Christmas season, and you know I want to take a moment just to do a little bit of recap into this verse because sometimes we just do this verse and read this verse and we're like, wow, that's cool. In doing the context study behind this, I was even more amazed at what this verse means. So Isaiah is a prophet of God, 700 years before Jesus ever shows up. Isaiah's name actually means salvation is of the Lord. And within the book of Isaiah, these 66 books, he says salvation, the word salvation, 27 times. Whereas if you look at all of the prophets, salvation is only used seven times in all of them combined. This is the theme of this book. And even though Isaiah preached a very urgent message of repentance to a nation that had fallen into sin and idol worship and disobedience to God, God gave him many prophecies of Jesus' first and second coming. And so here's the direct context in chapter 7. Isaiah has been sent by God to the king of Judah. His name is Ahaz, and he's not a very good king. He's kind of a wicked king. And he gives the word to Ahaz to ask Ahaz for a sign. This sign was to encourage him because Ahaz has just learned that two armies had joined together and were going to come and attack Judah and with the designed intention to wipe them out. And Isaiah comes to Ahaz and says, ask the Lord for a sign and he will give it to you, big or small. Ahaz declines, says, nope. Basically saying, I don't believe God's going to save me. And if you do the study, you're going to see that Ahaz actually had his own plan on what he was going to do to try and get out of trouble. But this is what's interesting. In the context of this, God still gives Ahaz the sign. And this is where we pick up. Read Isaiah 7.14 with me. Well, I'll read it for you here. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So let's unpack this, okay? The promise here is that a virgin will have a son. And again, what's interesting, it didn't matter that the king didn't believe God. God still shared this secret with him and ultimately with the nation so that they could be encouraged and have hope when there was not a lot of hope going on at that time. The sign of a woman without help of a man would give birth to a son. It's an impossible thing. Can we agree with that? This is an impossible thing. But this is also, can I share something with you? This is a lot of the character of God in this. Okay, God loves to do things that are impossible. All throughout scripture, there are many times where um, the Bible shares with us impossible stories. It does amazing things. And one that came to my mind was one very similar to this is where God told Abraham that he was going to have a son, okay? But you need to understand something. Abraham is 100 years old, and his wife is 90 years old. And the wife overhears that they're going to have a son, and she laughs. Maybe the first LOL moment. She laughs, but then God, hearing this, he says, Is anything too hard for God? And if you continue to learn more about that story, we see that they did not get a son, and it was a miracle. And as God loves to do impossible things, and as possible as that was, God is going to do an even more impossible thing, and this is his promise. And he does so that we may treasure in that promise and trust in him. And so here's the treasure. Out of each one of these promises, we're going to see the promise, but we're also going to see a treasure that we can take from Scripture and apply to our own lives. And the treasure from this verse that I've thought today that would be most impactful is that God is an extravagant planner. See, not only will a virgin have a baby, but he will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, God promises within this verse to be physically present. Now, granted, this prophecy, this promise, would not take place for 700 years. And you might be wondering, how does that encourage Ahaz now? He needs to remember that God does impossible things. And so it might be down the road that this promise is fulfilled, but God will provide protection, and he did for Judah. And so that is what he is communicating. But the physical presence of God is powerful. God has promised that this baby will come supernaturally and that God will once again walk with humanity. Because God used to walk with humanity before the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, but now has not. And let's be honest, all of us have experienced over this past year and a half, right, the presence of loneliness. Isn't that kind of interesting? And Just how awful it feels to be alone and separated from people we love. The power of presence when you hear some bad news and somebody is just a friend of yours, is just willing to sit with you, to be with you, to be present, to feel with you, to hurt with you, just to be there. We see the power of presence, and God knows this. And he promises to walk with us again, to be Emmanuel, God with us. God is an extravagant planner. His plans are not hindered by human's unbelief. He makes promises so ridiculous that when they come true, we know that it can only be him. So let's look at our next promise, shall we? We're going to go ahead to Micah chapter 5-2. If you're in the pew Bible there, it's page 779. But again, I'll have it up on the screen. We're going to see God's impressive promise. And quickly, let me just give you the context for Micah. Micah, again, is a prophet who lived and wrote around the same time as Isaiah. They're buddies, partners, in crime. Not really crime, in prophecy, sorry. But Micah's name means, who is like God? Micah's message to the nation was directed towards an intense amount of social injustice that was happening part of which would bring destruction if they didn't heed his voice and eventually their deportation. But even in these dark moments of sin that he is revealing, Micah shines a very bright light to a future hope. And Micah gives us one of the clearest and most important prophecies in the entire Old Testament. This one by far is probably one of my favorites. Um, Micah 5.2, let me read it for you. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, how, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for, for me one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And here's this promise, guys: A big king will come from a tiny town. A big king will come from a tiny town. And God shares yet another secret with Israel and with us that Jesus is going to come and he gives us the exact location. He pinpoints the exact location where he will be born. Bethlehem is known very well as the city of David, but outside of that, it's not very big. Even after David became king, Bethlehem still was not very big. Going back and looking at scripture, it's not even mentioned in Joshua 15 when the nation of Israel came out of Egypt and came into the land and, and they, they chronologically labeled all of the towns. It's not even listed in Judah. And again, even in Nehemiah, when they came back from Babylon, it's not listed. But It's interesting. It's not even listed amongst the nations, uh, not the nations, the towns within Judah. See, I have a map, and I find this interesting. I have a map in my house. Um, it's this really old map of the United States. I love it. It's, it's, it's beautiful. And, and on it it has uh, listed as being printed or made or whatever, in 1903. Okay? And on this map, it's interesting, is it has the key, and it has all these different labels on it and it's, it's symbols for different, you know, population brackets for how big the cities are. But guess what? I love about this. is Scranton is on there. Scranton is on this map that's over 100 years old, and it's, guess what, it's labeled as having a population of over 100,000 people. And what I find interesting about that is that when I go back, when I went back and did some research on worldpopulationreview.com, it was the first one that came up anyway, Scranton did indeed have 102,000 people living within um, the city in the year 1900. Now, survey... How many of you think the population has gone up or down? How many vote up? A few of you. How many say down? more of you say down. Wow. Well, guess what? You're both right. How'd that be? Well, in the 1940s, there was up to 140,000 people that lived in Scranton. You didn't know that. But since then, we're down to 76,000. Hmm. By the way, that's not pandemic numbers, okay? That's just... It was like seventy-six thousand, like four years ago. Anyway, the point I'm trying to make is this: is that it's amazing to me that in eighty years, the the city of Scranton, its population can diminish by half. Amazing. Okay. Knowing that information, okay, how many of you would be willing to try and take a guess of where your great-grandchild would be born? Anybody feel confident in that? Wage any money on that? We're not encouraging betting, I'm just saying. Not many of us, right? No. How about your 16th great-grandchild? Not really. This prophecy, Micah, saying that that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem is like saying that. It's like trying to be able to pinpoint where they would be born. Because from Ahaz to Jesus... That that period of time, the 700 years, was 18 generations, so 16 great-grandkids. I find that interesting. I don't know if you do. I hope you do. Anyway, the Bible is full of these prophecies, by the way, hundreds of them about Jesus. And the, the sheer fact that if you would even take 10 of them, and even to have 10 of them to have fulfilled in one person is, as one commentator states it, a statistical marvel. It's just impossible, which leads us to three conclusions. Either someone got really ridiculously lucky, okay, or it's a sham, it's all fake, or someone had the inside scoop. These prophecies are from God, given to people for his plan and purpose and for us to trust him, and that's what we believe here. So yes, this prophecy is a bold prediction of where Jesus would be born, but also who he would be. Look at this. this is from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. So this treasure is that God is a precise planner. From this little town of Bethlehem will come one whose existence and purpose was from of old, from ancient of days. What does that mean? The time before time. Isn't that amazing? Before time existed... God existed, and before time existed, God had a plan, and his plan was Bethlehem, a place that didn't exist at the time, and his plan was Jesus for us. In Colossians 1.17, it says, he is before all things, speaking of Jesus, and in him all things hold together. So when we boil all this down, what we see is the promise from God is that Jesus, who existed before time is coming into time to a tiny little town to do a mighty, awesome work. It's amazing. God is a precise planner. So thus far we have seen the extravagant plan of God and also the precise plan of God. So let's wrap up with this last promise, God's imminent promise. So now we're going to fast forward 700 years. That was my fast forward voice those of you who remember what a fast-forward actually sounds like, okay, you appreciate that. Some of you young folk, not so much. 700 years. and We pick up in Matthew chapter 1, 20, verse 20 to 23. This imminent promise is given, and we see the Virgin Mary, who's betrothed to Joseph, and Joseph finds out that she's with child, and it's supposedly of of God and of the Holy Spirit. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, it shares the dilemma that Joseph faced. His wife-to-be is preggy. Now what? So what does he do? Does he believe her? Is Is she really carrying the Christ child? Does he make her a public display and say, she was unfaithful to me. I'm divorcing her. He could have done that. Does he marry her and risk the talk behind their backs that he was unfaithful or that he's just foolish? Does he risk that? Or does he divorce her quietly, cut his losses, and move on? Well, here we're going to pick up and see what happens. Chapter 1, verse 20 to 23, and it says this. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken of the prophet Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name. Emmanuel. And here we see the promise. Jesus was given to take away sin. You get that? Jesus was given to take away sin. For he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is coming in this text, he's almost here. And the plan that has been put in place from before time is about ready to happen. And Joseph is about ready to royally mess this up. But this is what I find encouraging. Decisions are hard, right? Life decisions are hard. And we, none of us can say like how we would respond in Joseph's case. He's heartbroken. He's wrecked by this news. And in the midst of this, God comes to him through an angel and shares the plan. And I love this because Joseph was not important enough to mess up God's plan. He wasn't good enough to mess up God's plan. God was going to have his way. And so an angel comes and shares this message with him and says, don't mess up, man. This Mary is really carrying Jesus. You are to be her husband and Jesus. He's the Savior who's coming to save. The Apostle Paul writes of this plan later on in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. I want to read it to you. It says, in him... And things on earth. Jesus came to lavish us with the riches of his grace. And this is the reason for Christmas. This is what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. That came up in Sunday school and we had to talk about it. But Jesus came because man cannot save themselves. We can't. But he came to give us what we don't deserve and what we so desperately need. And here we see the point, is that the treasure is that God is a generous planner. I'd like to share a story with you, one that I heard this past week. Um, On Wednesday night, we have youth group and adult ministries and and Kids Connect. And this story comes from the Kids Connect area. Um, Last Wednesday, they had a Christmas store. They had a bunch of other fun things going on. They had pizza and other other great stuff and a great lesson. But one of the things was this Christmas store. And in this Christmas store, typically when they have store nights, the students can go and they can purchase prizes for themselves. But on store night this night, they were able to purchase prizes um, so that they could wrap them up and give them as gifts to their family. Okay, And so that's what was going on that night. So a new kid came in. He hadn't earned any points. He had just kind of showed up that night. And so he was given a, a, a good amount of points, okay, more than what you, they typically get. And so he was given a good amount of points, and then he's going through, and, and, and the leader can tell this, this young boy is struggling to find something. And so one of the leaders asks, well, who he's shopping for? And the boy shares that he's sh- trying to shop for his mom. Okay. The leader says, well, how about a coffee travel mug? Okay, because most adults like to travel with their coffee, you know, or a drink. Logical. Well, the student shares that um, his mom probably wouldn't really want a travel mug because she's sick and in bed, and there go, can't travel. So the leaders kind of step back and let, her, let him do his thing. So then he goes around a little bit longer, and then he finds two things. And the leaders can tell, like, he's just torn. He doesn't have enough points to be able to get both but he has, he's looking at these two things and he's like really struggling over what to get. Until one of the leaders comes up and says today is a buy one get one free sale. And the boy turns around and I was told that he looked like he was about ready to cry. But instead of crying he just goes to the leader and gives him a big hug. You know, and it's just like, and then he goes and wraps both of his presents for his mom. And it's like That is generosity. And what's amazing to me is that this is a perfect picture of God's generosity towards us. These leaders had planned to be extra generous to newcomers that were coming in so that they could have something to be able to buy, but then also to go above and beyond if they needed it. And we see a perfect picture in here of God because God saw our need. He saw our state We cannot earn enough points to get to heaven. We cannot earn enough points to be good in his eyes and have a relationship with him. God knew the problem, and he forever, from the very beginning, promised that he would come and resolve that problem. And that's why these promises of God are treasures for us to trust in. So really quickly, I want to share with you the gospel This good news that you and I have. Maybe you have never experienced the generosity of God before. And I want to invite you to receive that today. To receive this ridiculous amount of riches of his grace. That he wants to lavish upon you. In Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it says this. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. It's a gift, not a result of works so that no one may boast. See, God is not Santa. He's not giving us a gift based on if we're naughty or nice. He's giving us this gift because we so desperately need it, and he is holy, righteous, merciful, just, and loves us so very much. But this gift can only be received by faith. We read in God's word and understand that we need to admit that we are a sinner. Believe that we have sin in our lives we cannot get to God. He has to come to us. The second thing we need to do is we need to believe in that gift, that free gift in Jesus. That he came, as we hear in the Christmas story from the Virgin Mary, perfect, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins and rose again. When we believe that, that is when we trust Christ. When we call on him and ask him to save us from our sins and ask him to be Lord of our life. And I want to invite you, if you have not done that today, come and talk with me. Bring the friend that brought you or family member. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. And if you have questions, I'd love to just talk with you about that. So as I wrap up here, I just want to leave us with a closing application for each of these topics we talked about today. God's impossible promise being Jesus would come from the Virgin Mary. God's impressive promise where we see God pinpoint the exact location 700 years before Jesus would come, and God's imminent promise when Christ is indeed coming. We saw that the treasure of God is... God is an extravagant planner. And what we can take from this is, let us not be so quick to put the God of the universe in a box. It's just so easy to just limit God, right? in our minds, well, God can't do that. God can't help me in this situation. God can't save me of everything I've done wrong. Let's not put God in a box, shall we? He's an extravagant planner and he loves to do impossible things. So let's trust him maybe a little bit more today, shall we? The next one is is the treasure. God is a precise planner. And God loves to do more with less, doesn't he? He loves to do amazing things through little packages, through a little town in Bethlehem, through a little baby named Jesus. We see the salvation of the world. I mean, God loves to do little things. Amazing things with less. So let us be watchful, shall we, as we live our lives, of the circumstances, the coincidences, and even the conversations that we have, the little things in life. What does God want to do with those, I wonder? Can we trust him with those? Can we prayerfully consider what he wants to do with those little things that we would consider insignificant? God wants to do big things in our lives folks. One of the last treasures we saw was that God is a generous planner. And as we model our life after his, this is why I love the truth of God's word. This is why I believe it's so true and accurate to our lives, is because it depicts us as being image bearers. We are made in God's image. We are meant to represent who he is. We are made to model that Messiah, that Jesus humble, who yet came to save, who loves humanity. That is who we were made to be. So let us be generous this Christmas. I'm not just talking about, you know, in giving presents. I'm talking in our conversations. I'm talking in even with people who, you know, don't deserve our kindness, maybe in our family or in our life. But let us be generous in loving like Jesus. And this time I want to invite the praise team forward. And as we close, I started off this sermon, if you recall, sharing my perfect proposal plan to my wife. And how that went. And how I, I just cherish that promise um, that I made and I cherish that memory. But even more so, I want to encourage us, let us, this Christmas season, let us cherish what God has promised to us in times past, so that we can treasure those things, that we can trust in those things, that we can see who he is. Because that we can apply to our lives today. That we can encourage us to keep on when the world is dark. We can have that promise and we can treasure those those hopes in Jesus. So let me pray for you before our next song. God, again, I just want to thank you for the treasure of your word, the promises that you have given to us, the love that you have so graciously lavished upon us. Lord, may we never grow old in hearing of what you have done for us. Lord, I pray that as we leave this place, that we would model your plan, that we would be generous, that we would have hope even in dark days. And God, we would trust your perfect plan and time. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.